Okay, so please be seated. There is this joy that comes from somewhere, right? We don't know where, but there is this um, inexpressible joy. This is all uh, proof that we are living with God. Then there's some of you who have this sadness that comes from somewhere. That's a problem. That's a problem. We need to always be rejoicing. Amen. Always filled with joy. When you live with God, you're just filled with joy. Not because something good happened, but... Not because you, you, you won the lottery. That's not, that's not what brings you that joy. It's not even like your husband being completely transformed. No, you're just filled with joy. You're just filled with joy. That is the characteristic of someone who lives by the Spirit of God. If you look at 1 Thessalonians 1 7, what does it say? That even in the midst of hardship, we rejoice in the Holy Spirit. Even in suffering, we rejoice. This is the natural flow of being filled with the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. And so I'm very grateful that some of these young adults have been transformed in this past conference. So I'm very grateful. So let's turn to Psalms 110. So let's read. Amen. So uh, a while ago, I did preach out of 110. So why is 110 important? Because this is the prophecy of Christology. And especially regarding the Christology of the Melchizedek priesthood described in Hebrews, this is the source. And though this is condensed, it also has prophecy regarding the end times. And so from the perspective of this end times, who God is going to establish, that is what we are seeing here in Psalms 110. And so from the perspective of the end times, this high priest in the order of Melchizedek is going to be established to judge over these end times and also this uh, time of power is, is, is the time of suffering and in that time of suffering these youth of the Lord who are going to come like the dew of the morning 
And so Psalms 110 is really important prophecy for people like us who are rising up as the remnant in these end times. And so when it talks about the youth here, it's not talking about just young men, but it's talking about those who are passionate after God, those who have passion to live in faith. Amen? And so these men are the are these people are the youth. So even if you're like me, seven in your seventies, we are still called youth. And so and all, if we think about it, all of you have become one year younger, right? Oh, I got two year two years younger because my birthday has not passed yet. So until. Um, August 11th, I'm two years younger. Oh, maybe that's why I feel the, the heat of, of, of youth, of vigor rising up inside of me. <laughs> because all of a sudden I've gotten two years younger, it's a little confusing, right? right? Pyongyangi is all of a sudden 19 instead of 21. She's so young, she's a baby. How old are you now? You're 24? Oh, you, you're so small, and yet you're you're older than I thought you were. Wow, when did you when did you get so old? I thought you were 17. You're 24 already. Wow, how old are you? 23. Wow, then you got married at 21. Oh no, 22. Okay. Wow, you're 23. You are normal. It's normal for you to be an, a, a, a missus, right? You should all go early. All go early. That's normal. And so from this context, let's look at the book of Psalms 110. And so there's some of you who worry that because today's text is short, today's service is going to be short. But honestly, now we don't really care whether it's short or long, right? But yes, the, 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 the text is short. Only seven verses. And so let's turn to today's text, verse 1. And as I said earlier, this is a really important uh, prophecy for Christology. If this prophecy did not exist, then the author of Hebrews would not have any basis to describe Jesus as the pre high priest in the order of Melchizedek. If he was unable to talk about that uh, truth, then it would have been impossible to write the book of Hebrews. Because the focus of the book of Hebrews is on Christology. And so the fact that David prophesied in Psalms 110 is really important to us. Because 110 is the only place in the Bible where we can see this high priest in the order of Melchizedek. Now, of course, we see Melchizedek being described in Genesis. But with that passage in Genesis, you cannot expound it to Christology. The, and so with the text in Genesis, it's impossible to expound it to Christology. But the one, one place in the Bible where you can expound its passage to Christology is here in Psalms 110. And going beyond that, if by any chance we didn't have the book of Hebrews, 
then we would not have been able to describe ourselves as existentially righteous. That's how important it, the book of Hebrews is. And on top of that, the fact that we have this author of Hebrews, we're grateful, and we're grateful to, to David for making this prophecy, and to the author of Hebrews who is able to sharply and succinctly use that verse to, to, to prophesy. And so who is the author of Hebrews? We don't know. But one thing we do know is that it's not Paul. Are you going to ask me to bet my life on it? I don't know. But 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 99.99% is not Paul. And that we talked about this when we talked about Hebrews, right? And so anyway, so let's look at verse 1. And so the reason why Christology is important, the reason why I chose this book today is because Christology is is a sign of opening up into a new season. And so all of you, all of you needs to be the, these youth who are rising like the dew of the morning. And I will preach soon. soon. Remember that the dawn happens at the darkest of night. That right before that the, the, the sun rises, right? And now as that sun, the light of the sun pierces through that darkness, it, it cuts through that darkness. And that's the season that is upon us. Amen? So the world is getting darker and darker. It's going into dusk, right? But like the dawn coming, now there is hope for that light, for that first light. And in these end times, the hope of these generations is not all men, but the remnant. That they will be like the dew of the morning. Amen? Amen. Amen. And so, aren't you filled with joy? Right? For no reason. We're already filled with joy even before we receive grace. Truly, yes? This is evidence that you are living by the Holy Spirit. And so, when you live by the Holy Spirit, sometimes it seems like you're crazy, right? Because you laugh all on your own. And you don't know why you're laughing, but yet you're laughing. That's what it is to live in the Holy Spirit. And without this in our life, then you got to question, are you living by the Holy Spirit or not? And so really, throughout your daily life, you should be laughing constantly, just, just every now and then. And then someone will ask you, why, what are you laughing about? And no, I'm just happy. And then, so if you, you have a husband and you smile at your husband like that, he's going to be deluded into thinking that you love him so much. And that's a good delusion to have, right? So, amen. And so I'm not saying this for no reason. God is pouring out the spirit of joy upon you. And so we need to be filled with joy, amen? This feeling, right, that everything's just going to be successful. Everything is just going to work out. That feeling, that, that, that abstract feeling, amen? And so are you happy? Look at the person next to you. Does he look happy to you or not? Uh, 
Wow, you're 24 already. Wow, you've just gotten so old. Stand up, stand up, stand up. I want to show, I want to show the the congregation that you are 24. Oh, she's 24. Wow. You're smaller than my my daughter-in-law. He's constantly talking about her height and said that, you know, who knows? Just because you're small doesn't mean you have to meet a small guy. You could meet a tall guy, maybe someone who is 196 centimeters, and he'll carry you in his pocket. That's when we call Thumbelina, right? We call that kind of person Thumbelina. And so I'm, let's continue. I'm waiting. I'm waiting for how the Holy Spirit is going to move. Does he want to preach in a long time or a short time? So verse 1. The Lord says to my Lord. And so here. Uh, the Lord God is Lord and our Lord Jesus is also Lord. And yet it still says two Lords, two different kinds of Lords. And this is not difficult for us to tra- uh, interpret. Yes, This is talking about God the Father and God the Son. Right, even when we saw the judgment of Sodom and Gomorrah in Genesis, there is the Lord who comes in fire and the Lord who sends the fire. So in the Old Testament, we can see the Trinity at play. And so from the perspective of Christology, when we see the Lord says to my Lord, is God acknowledging all victory belonging to the Son? And so what does he say here? Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. And so Jesus dies on the cross and, and on that cross he proclaimed the perfect victory. Amen? And so from this point, already in reality, the devil has been judged and has been destined for defeat. And all creation was bowed at his feet. And yet, and yet it seems as if that the devil is not yet judged, right? Because there's still disobedience. There's and even if you say that the creation obeys, people do not obey, right? And and we see demons at work. Then does that mean that the cross did not mean perfect victory? No, that's not the case. As it says in Hebrews 2.8, that, God, that Jesus is still holding off on judgment for a time. That's what's being described here. That until I make your enemies your footstool, sit at my right hand. 
And so there's a lot of meaning here. Because look, when you say you're sitting at the right hand, that means there's perfect victory. And yet, there's still a time set for your enemies to be made your footstool. Then how should we deal with this? Jesus won the victory at the cross and was acknowledged as Christ, the Son of God, and so was seated on the throne. That means, that signifies perfect victory. And because of that victory, we also are victorious. Amen? And so as it says in Ephesians 2.11, that we have been seated with Him. Amen? And so, through Him being acknowledged as Christ, through Him being acknowledged as Son of God, we have also been made princes. And this must be clearly believed in our hearts. And so, that us living on this earth as children of God means we have the right to judge. And so from that perspective, what does Paul say in 2 Corinthians? That you can either be an aroma of salvation or an aroma of judgment. And so a child of God can proclaim salvation and judgment. And so everything that God has done for us is done in the perspective of priests, uh, of priestly kings. It's, it's not you just live however you want. No, that's not what it's about. And so in Colossians, what does it say in the same context? It says that Jesus' throne is my throne. That his throne is my throne. Why? Because he is seated on that throne. I am also seated with him. As we saw in Hebrews, that there is no difference between me and the Lord. He is heir, then I am also heir. He is the Son of God, I am also Son of God. The only difference is that He is independent, whereas I am dependent. And so if you have met with God, then every day your, your nobility, your dignity rises up to heaven, and yet you are also at the same time completely humble, being obedient to God. This is the result of those who have received what God has done for them. And so already if you are powerless, or already you are withering because you lack the things of the world, you think that the things of the world are great, already this is a sign that you have met with God improperly. Because if we have met with God, we would not live this way. There is that, that powerlessness could not be part of your dictionary. That withering should not characterize you. Because who am I that I should wither, that I should be powerless? Amen? So this must be clear. Amen? And so he became the perfect king and was seated at his right hand, and his victory is my victory. But shall we turn to Hebrews 2, verse 8? All of a sudden, it feels as if the sermon's going to be long, right? Yep. <laughs> and so in Hebrews 2 8, it says, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Right? He is seated at the right hand of God. And everything is, under, is in subjection to him. 
And yet we see that there are things that not yet uh, under his subjection, right? And so even in our church, we see that, that there is no subjection. We say go pray, but you don't pray, right? And it still seems as if the devil is very active. And so look at verse 9. But we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death. So we don't need to see all of it, but verse 10. For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. And so because there many sons needs to be brought to glory, Jesus is waiting for that number to be filled. And so he has not yet executed judgment on the devil. Even though many sons have been brought to glory, there are still many sons who are ought to be brought in. And so the Lord waits. And so from this perspective, the Lord is betting his glory. Right? Think about it. That, that even though he already has the victory he's allowing uh, the devil to move which is kind of like um, cutting down at his own glory because the devil is moving to 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 make it seem as if Jesus is not does not have the victory and so who is Jesus doing this for he is doing it for us so even though he has the victory right ultimately Ultimately, this is Jesus' victory. But in order for us to have that victory, to share in that victory, he's waiting for us. That's also the reason why the old self still exists inside of us. So you may think to yourself, why are there so many devils still around? Why does it seem as if wicked, the wicked prosper more than the righteous? It's because God is not concerned with them. God is not concerned with what the devil is doing. God's interest is in bringing his sons to glory. Amen? It doesn't matter what they do because ultimately they are destined for judgment. It doesn't matter how much they boast in what they have because ultimately it will all be burned with fire. God is not concerned with unbelievers. God is not concerned with with the devil. No, his concern is in bringing his sons to glory. That's why he is holding off judgment. And so it it seems like it doesn't make sense, and yet it makes perfect sense. That though he has seated on his throne, yet the devil is not yet his but still is because of this reason. So how grateful are we for his for his opportunity? How grateful are we for his desire for us to enter into glory? Amen? So let us all strive for that glory. Amen?
that even though this amazing ministry has been going on for 20 years God is waiting to bless you to, to bring you to glory amen and so it doesn't make sense if we don't, cannot enter into that rest God is waiting for you he's waiting for his remnant in this day and age he is waiting for his remnant to stand in glory amen and so there is this uh, he's, he made a joke anyways sorry sorry it's because I'm joyous that I keep speaking nonsense and so it's perfect victory amen and so the important thing is it doesn't matter what the devil can do it doesn't matter what the devil is trying to do it doesn't matter whether the world is disobedient or not so because you see war you see suffering does that mean that God doesn't exist no no remember that the focus is on giving you glory bringing you into glory even the reason why he came in the flesh is for you frankly speaking if the only goal was for you to come to heaven then he did not need to come in the flesh he did not need to die on the cross all he had to do was say you are righteous then you would enter into heaven he has that right he has that authority and yet why did he come in the flesh and die on the cross so that he could be the source of, of a new man of a new creation and so remember salvation isn't just simply about you going to heaven no but all the dignity and honor that God poured out when he made Adam he, he died on the cross to restore that to us and so when Adam failed the will of God he didn't just fail for himself it's not just a citizen failing in work no it's a king is failing to be a king because when God designed Adam he designed him to be a priestly king right you understand what I'm saying even if I don't preach uh, Genesis 1 again but when God created Adam he created Adam to be a king and so when Adam failed he didn't fail as some citizen failing in a task no he failed as a king and when he failed as a king he forfeited that honor that dignity and so when he came in the flesh he came in the flesh to restore that dignity to restore that honor to man and so that's why he came in the flesh to come in the failure of Adam as it says in Romans so he came in the place of Adam why else did he come in the flesh as it says in Hebrews 5 7 or 8 ish that as man 
so that as man he could show that it is possible to live with God how? by emptying himself not living by the possibility of man but dying to his flesh and living in the Holy Spirit and so being made perfect through obedience and so showing the way to us and so our goal is not heaven itself what is our goal? Our goal is to be like Jesus. Not only to be like Jesus, but to go beyond what Jesus was. Right? As Jesus says that those who believe in me will do greater works than these. And so right now, we're, we're confirming all of these promises that God has given us. Amen? Through the gospel. Let us confirm it and once again restore our faith. Amen? And so what's the third reason for salvation? As it says in Hebrews 2.14, that because he was in the flesh died and rose again what did he do he took away the power of death from the devil and so what does that mean that there's nothing that can resist us there's nothing that can stop us there's nothing that can give us fear why because when our Lord Jesus Christ has been victorious over death what can dare bring us fear that if we have dealt with the issue of sin there's no reason for us to suffer anymore and so if you truly believe in this then you will not be afraid of trial and error you will not be afraid to fail this is the faith that we must have amen that this is the faith we must have brothers the world is afraid of failing the world is afraid of losing Right? This is all because of that survival instinct. But for those of us who have dealt with the issue of death, there's no reason to fear what to eat, what to drink, what to wear. If you still are worried about these things, you have not dealt with the issue of sin, death. Amen? And so remember that our focus is on perfect victory. Our focus is not on what makes the world go round. Our focus is not on what the devil is doing. Amen? And so he who has given us all this perfect victory, he has been seated at, on the throne. As it says in Philippians 2 from around 5, that he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but was obedient even to the death on the cross. So God gave to him the name that is above all names, that every knee should bow and all tongues confess. Amen? And so he is seated on that throne. And we need to believe upon that victory. And so his covenant, his covenant that he has given to you is very special. It is a covenant that allows us to trample on serpents and vipers, to disarm the devil. As it says in Ephesians 1, 23 to 25, that everything of the devil, that everything of the devil is under the feet of the church. Because he has the perfect victory and he is the head of the church. Amen. And so there's many verses throughout the Bible that testifies to this theme. And so let us have this focus. It doesn't matter what the devil is doing, what the world is concerned with. That's not where our focus is. Our focus is on one thing, and which is what is on the perfect victory of Jesus Christ. And through that perfect victory, I am one with him. Amen.
And so all we have to do is continually receive this in faith as we live our lives. This is the current of faith. And so if you do not live by faith, what happens is that all of these fault, faults of, of the, the personality faults that has been flowing through your, your family, through your, your house, through your limitations, through your weaknesses, all of these things are used by the devil to lead you in the way he wants you to go. And so if you do not live by faith, then fundamentally your life, your destiny is dragged by the various bindings that has been flowing through your family line. And so even if you attend church, if you do not live by faith, you are constantly, your destiny is being led by the devil. And so without faith, our life becomes a tragedy. And so it's not about attending church or not. If you constantly um, lose out on faith, you are, you are captured by your destiny, by your fate, and that is in the hands of the devil. And, but if we live by faith, devil loses that authority over your life. And so when we live by faith, God's current of victory flows through my life. And so if you maintain that faith for a month, for a year, continuously, then as you look back upon your life, you will see that you have transformed into a completely different being. Amen? This is evidence that you are living in faith. Amen? And so you are living by faith and yet you're still living in the same weaknesses, in the same personality faults, in the same uh, uh, misery. That means something is wrong. If you do not live by faith, the devil is constantly dragging at your weaknesses. And you see that in your lives, right? Many times. Always begging because of money. Always falling because of people. Now let us close off that. Let us close the books on that part of our lives. Amen. Do not allow the devil to lead us anymore. Because what is faith? Faith is that he has the perfect victory. And remember, faith is not uh, you, uh, your potential to live that way. No, it's God's gift to you. It's receiving God's dominion over your life. It's believing that God's dominion is over this entire universe. And so when we live in faith, what does it mean? It means you are living like God. And so without faith, you are suffering. And so if you live by faith, you do not need to worry about your standards, about your circumstances, who your father was, what kind of family you were born to, what kind of opportunities are given to you. No. It doesn't matter because faith has no prejudice. And so God doesn't consider, isn't concerned with many things. He's only concerned with one thing. Do you have faith? If you have faith, then you can live like me. That's what God says to you. God does not consider any other factors except for this. God is not going to be like, oh, you are living by faith, but you're still a little bit too ugly. No, God does not care. 
Amen. Amen. Right? Aren't we grateful that he doesn't look at how what we look like? He's just repeating what he said because she asked him to repeat it. Because if God was going to look at your faces, then all of us have to fall into despair, right? Right? We all have to fall into despair. Now let's say God says, Oh, you have faith, but you don't have money. Is God going to say that? And so we, if God does that, then we all have to re- fall into despair, right? So all we need is faith. That is the gospel. That is the good news, right? How easy is that? It's as simple as that. And that's what you have been deceived in for all this time. When I say, hey, you go get married to that guy. And I say that he has good faith. Oh, but he's a little too short. Or he doesn't have money. Or his face is a little not... His family. Oh, you crazy man. Are you crazy? Because he he cursed, so I'm going to use the word. You crazy biatch, right? Like, Like, why would that kind of man get married to you? And so all you need, you say all you need is faith. And yet, why do you calculate all of these things? That's what has been dragging your life down. God says all you need is faith. That drives God mad, mad that, 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 that you fact, consider so many factors. And to be honest, just be honest. Just be honest. Say that it's not faith that you're looking for. You're looking for 180 centimeters, good school, right? Just be honest. And so be honest to yourselves. Look at how much you have been deceived, right? That's how you have lived your life. You did not look at faith. And so, of course, I got to bring up my wife. Because really, all I saw was her faith. And when I saw her faith, I see that she has everything. She's beautiful. She didn't have a lot of money, but it's okay. That wasn't a big problem. Right? So it's about faith. Do you know why Aram has such a hard time in her life? Because her husband was a pearl in the world. He was such a good-looking man. And that's why her life was such a tragedy up until now. One a little testimony. A few days ago, there was this lady who was a pearl in the world. Saw Kim Young for the first time. And, and even though he got so old, and time has gone by, that she still recognizes him. That he is good looking. I'm, I'm actually grateful that, hey, at least we have someone who is a good looking man at our church. <laughs> 
But what am I trying to say? I'm trying to say all you need is faith. Amen. All you need is faith. Do not be deceived. And look at how deceived you have been all your life. That's why you, 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 you were so ashamed of having no money. That's why you have such inferiority complexes. All we need is faith. If we have faith, there is no need to despair. Amen. So if you have faith, all things will seem beautiful. And so when you look at yourself in the mirror with faith and without faith, it's going to be completely different. On the days when I have faith, Yunzong seems like short to me. But when I ha- when I don't have faith, I look at him and I'm like, why am I so small? So really, on the days when I don't have faith, Deacon Park looks so fat. But on the days when I have faith, wow, he is so he is so slim. Right? And so today he looks slim. That means I have faith today. Amen. So all we have to do is live by faith. Amen? And so if you don't live by faith and keep calculating and keep factoring what they look like, you need to repent. Amen. And so look at Sunga. She lives by faith. No, 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 sorry. Look at her husband. She, he lives by faith because all he's looked at was faith. Right? How else could he marry such a world famous, uh, world famous, uh, what's it called? <laughs> world famous minister. When Pastor Raymond <laughs> met, met with Sunga every day in Korean, he would say, Oh, Lion of Judah. <laughs> oh, he's so good at Korean. <laughs> and so all over the world now, the rumor of her being the Lion of Judah. Right? He said that in faith. Amen? <laughs> How amazing. So do you have faith or not, brothers? That's all we need to see, is that Jesus has the victory. That Jesus is perfect victory. Just think about that. You don't need to look at the world. You don't need to look at what the devil is doing. And that I am seated on the throne with him. That this priestly authority gives you all victory. Amen? So moving on to verse 2. Wow, already? I mean, just verse 2 right now. The Lord sends forth from Zion your mighty scepter. And so Zion is speaking about the house of David. Right on, on the Temple Mount, the Temple Mount is the is Zion, right? The, that, 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 that hill. But then, uh, not just the Temple Mount, but the entire city became called Zion. Right? That's ultimate. That happens all the time, right? Because Jesus is seated on that hill as the king, as the priest. And so the city of David being called Zion is is so natural. Because where he is, he is not only the king, but also the priest. 
And from Zion, the mighty scepter is sent forth. And what mighty scepter represents God's authority and dominion. So from his throne, from the throne of Zion, this mighty scepter, right? This mighty scepter which represents his kingship, his kingdom. And the interesting thing here is that the word for scepter is not the common word that the Hebrew would use for scepter. And so it's, right, it's a stick, right? It's a rod. And so Jesus uh, shepherds us with his staff. Amen. But, but on that staff, it's also a weapon to chase away the wolves. And so with that scepter, with that staff, with that rod, he hits uh, lions or wolves. And so that means from Zion also comes judgment. And so, uh, spiritually, if we look at this, Zion represents the church. And again, as I said, that means that there is authority going forth from the church. That just as God judges the world from his throne, he who is the king of the church, Jesus Christ, judges the world through his church. And so from many perspectives, we, there are reasons for us not to, be in, not to interlope with the world. But just from this perspective, that we are the judge over the world means that we should not mix with the world. It's because you fail to realize who you are that you mix with the world. We cannot interlope with the world. We should not. Amen? Do not forget who you are. That from Zion we recognize that judgment flows forth. And that's where we are. Now of course the reason why we can do all this is because he is seated on his throne. And so really we need this decision of faith. That whatever it is, I will not be contaminated by the world. That no matter what it is, I will not compromise with the world. Because that is who you are. Right? A queen bee is not going to mix her food with the honey. No, she is only going to eat the royal jelly. And so stop trying to eat the honey. It's because you fail to recognize who you are that you compromise. We are the judge, not the judged. We are not beings who eat by what the world gives. And so where do we need to have clarity? We, we keep thinking that the things that the world gives blesses us, is a blessing. But I say many times that this is the reason that you are dying. That if you receive what the world gives, you will fall. That when you mix, it contaminates the truth. We are his temple, his holy temple. And as that word says, we need to maintain holiness. And if we maintain holiness, there's nothing that can resist you. The only 
reason why that the temple is is ruined is because it gets what contaminated. So as long as we do not contaminate ourselves, we have no reason to fear. Why? Because ultimately we stand as judges of the world. And so when you raise your children, this is actually where you have lost sight. It's not about making your children successful in this world. You think that that is what will give them happiness, but it's not. And so instead of giving them a heritage of faith, you give them this work ethic to work for the world. It's when you give them that heritage of faith that they will find true happiness. And so we need to repent deeply, parents. Even though you do not leave them holiness, you do not leave them faith, every day you keep telling them to work hard to be someone in Babylon. That's why they are so filled with worldly desires. And then even if you fail to set them up for success, instead of looking to faith, you, you, you despair because you did not give them that, that worldly success. Actually, it's a, it's a blessing that you were unable to give them that, 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 that Babylon. That is a blessing. Even if you have, you should not give. And so how, what a blessing it is that you do not have to give. And yet you fall into despair because of that. And so when you recognize who you are, and when you believe in who you are, it's possible for you to resist Babylon. And what else does it say? It says, rule in the midst of your enemies. And so with this mighty scepter, he goes forth from Zion, yes? And so it's obvious that he would rule in the midst of his enemies. Right, uh, right, that all uh, rule, right, to reign, to domain, to have dominion, to subjugate, as it says also in in Luke, right, uh, to trample the serpents and uh, the vipers. Right, uh, and in Hebrew or in First John, that the evil one cannot touch you. And so God is promising what? Total victory. Total victory. It's not, it's not, uh, you might win, you could win, you should win. No. No. It's you will win. You must win. You will win. This is the promise of the Creator. That there is, it's not 99.999999% No, it's 100% And so when we believe in who he who promised this We would have faith When we know what he had done for us to have this victory We would have faith Amen And so this authority gives us the confidence to trample the devil Amen the authority that the church has has the authority to domineer everything from Lucifer on down. And this isn't just theory, but as we enter into this new season, we will see these works happening. Amen? That the season has come where the devil cannot touch us. And as I say always, you do your business and I do my business. The devil, do what you gotta do, but you can. 
right as the prophet said that hey you from India you worry about India don't worry about what Korea is doing because I will worry about Korea you worry about something else so as the same thing to the devil the devil you do your business you don't need to worry concern with us and we are living in that time amen so let's continue verse 3 It says, on the day of your power. And so speaking of that day that he is perfectly seated on that throne with perfect victory. So this is written in the perfect tense. And so the day of your power, this word power has war significance, has significance of war, right? And so on that day, 2,000 years ago, when he was seated on that throne, and on that day he returns, it is this time that is being described here, that day of power. And so this battle is is being described here as as that day. And so ultimately resulting in what that day he returns. And so speaking of the battle of Armageddon. And so from that day that he was he had won that victory 2,000 years ago, became the head of the church, and throughout history has been continually uh, showing that victory. And now in those last days, when that perfect victory will finally be uh, revealed, This is, all of this time is this day of power so even now this new season that is coming upon us it is this day that, that, that the remnant is being established in victory and so this victory isn't just this one event 2,000 years ago but continually this victory is giving to us is, is, is living every day inside of us And so we are not suffering all this time and then just having the victory on that day he returns. No. Right? Most people, you cannot be defeated all your life and then just victorious on that last day. No. It's just as the one who knows, uh, the one who eats meat knows the taste of meat. Right? Uh, I know someone who was not able to eat meat ever since they were young, and so they could not tell the difference between chicken and pork and beef. It's the people who eat meat who know how to enjoy that meat, right? In the same way, right? Someone like me, I've, I've enjoyed meat every day since I was young. I've enjoyed all kinds of premium meats. And so I know what piece of meat is good. And so when I go to a meat place, people are like, wow, it's so good. And I'm like, oh, this, this is not, you have not tried anything yet. It's the same thing with sushi, right? With, with sushi. You can tell if this is natural or if it's farmed. And so... Right, when you talk about fisheries... And so these fish, they are fed feed. But there's also fish that are outside of those fisheries. These fishes are called natural. 
Right, we talk about right, there, there is these fish that are attracted by the food that are being poured out and so they are not eating natural food but, they're, but what are they eating? They're eating feed and yet even though they're caught in that fish or outside of that fishery they're called natural. So he's explaining to her because she doesn't understand this concept. Oh, now she understands. Okay. And so, technically speaking, they are natural, right? But they've been eating feed. And so you can tell when you, when you know the taste of fish. So what am I trying to say? That it's because you eat meat that you know the taste of meat. It's the same thing with victory. Because you're constantly winning that victory, you are victorious in the end. So there's many of you who are characterized by defeat because you're always being defeated. It's natural to you being defeated. No, no, no. Now we need to be characterized by victory, amen? That victory itself is my character, amen? And so we need to have that confidence. And so those of you who have the spirit of defeat, you need to fight it and cast it out. What is evidence of the spirit of defeat? Is that when some new challenge comes, you always first think of failure. And this is evidence of those who live by their thoughts. Right? Look at Philip, the disciple Philip. That uh, you feed them. And what does he say? Even with 200 denarius, we could not feed them. Already he's only calculating failure. Already thinking about failure first. So let's continue. Let us continue. Listen carefully, brothers. And so, believe in your victory. And we need to have this clear faith in victory. Amen? And then, whatever happens in our circumstances, whatever happens in our daily life, is not going to greatly affect this faith. We may fail every now and then, but we hold on to this ultimate victory. And as we hold on to this ultimate victory, this victory becomes part of your character. And so those of you who constantly hold on to that victory will, hold, will be characterized by that victory. And so when you are characterized by defeat, that is a very dangerous uh, proof of how you have lived your life. And so when you are characterized by victory, no matter what new thing comes to you, you will not be afraid. That Lord, let's go. Yes, let's go forward. Yes, Lord, I will do it. Amen. Let's go. Right? Let's go. <laughs> okay, well, let's live by faith. 
So many times, even though you say, I can do it, and I go and I fail, right? It's what happens then? More than this defeat, more than this actual defeat, what happens is your life is not defeated because of this defeat, but rather not the attempt at all, right? That is the focus. That's what I'm trying to say. Okay, your life is not suffering because you failed once or not, twice. Right? When you say it's possible, you are talking in faith, right? And so God is going to take responsibility. Listen carefully, brothers. So it's not one talent that God is giving you. Look, the judgment of that man with the one talent wasn't that he failed. The judgment is unbelief. And so if you look at the big picture of life, then the true failure is not in that individual failures that you have made, but it's when the the failure to even attempt, the failure to even try. So as I said, the goal is not to hit a home run. No, the goal is to make a good-looking swing, right? When you swing, when you swing with all your heart, that's all you have to do. Amen? So let's continue. And so on the day of your power, that day of victory, that day on that day in the end when he gives us that victory, amen? And so your people will offer themselves freely in holy garments. And so in these end times, he's establishing his people, his nation of victory. And the first thing is that they must wear holy garments. God has given you holiness. And so why does it say in holy garments? Because this is the greatest gift that God can give you, is his holiness. And so we put on this clothing of holiness, this garment of holiness. And so Revelation describes this as the saints clothed in white. So look, Revelations. Let's turn to Revelations. Revelations 3 5. Revelations 3 5. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments. And so because they are victors, they are clothed in white. But actually, what he's saying is is because you are victors, you are wearing white. And so as Ephesians says, who is these people? It is the new self. And so those who live by the new self each and every day. That is who these holy ones are. And then look at Revelation 7, 9. After this I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation from all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb clothed in white robes. And then so up until verse 8 it was talking about the 144,000 of of Jews and now it's talking about the remnant of the Gentiles. Who are they? Those clothed in white. And so even the remnant, the remnant are clothed in white. And then in verse 14, 
Uh, I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. And so they came through that tribulation. But they came in that tribulation clothing their, uh, washing their clothes in the blood of the Lamb every day. Every day cleansing themselves. Every day putting themselves to death. Amen? I'm going to look at chapter 19, verse 8. These clothed garments of white are being lifted up today. Amen? It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. Who is this? This is the bride of the of the of the uh, uh, of the lamb. And who is this bride? The bride is the one who is clothed in fine linen, bright and pure. And so, like this prophecy of revelations, God is raising up these people. And so, let us put our lives for holiness. Amen. And then, Revelations 20:13. Uh, sorry, 21, 13. No, 22, 13. Anyways, constantly washing themselves in the blood to repent. Constantly repenting. Why do we keep repenting? Because as we continue to repent, we are not just emptying ourselves, but filling ourselves with the holiness of God. And so we need to keep repenting so that we can fill ourselves with that holiness. Amen. Putting ourselves to death every day. Amen. And so like the prophecy of revelations in these end times, he is raising up these people who are clothed in holiness, who are clothed in purity. Amen. And what God does is so simple. He doesn't complicate things. Just the holy ones, right? The holy ones will have victory. These holy ones will welcome me in the end times. And so our fight is a simple one. It is not complicated. Just maintain, just guard, guard holiness and repent to grow in holiness. How simple is that? And so the first condition to this new season is be clothed in holiness. And then it says that they came, that they came willingly, right? That they will offer themselves. That they offer themselves in joy. That with a willing heart. And this word is used in living with the Holy Spirit. And because they are holy, they are filled with the Holy Spirit. And so they can dedicate themselves. Amen? And this offer, this offer themselves comes from the root of warrior. As we see later when it talks about the youth uh, who are like the morning dew, they are all warriors. And so or the spiritual warriors who live in the Holy Spirit. So as I said last Sunday as well, that the warriors of, of the kingdom of David were all men of valor, right? They were all men of valor. None of them were scholars. They were all warriors. 
And this may be really obvious to Western uh, Western history, but but in Korean and and Eastern history, right, most kingdoms are established on scholars and warriors. But but in Western history, it's all warriors, right? Warriors. So all we have to do is be good at with the sword and with the bow. <laughs> and so in these end times, these holy ones dressed in white, they are warriors. And the young men of the Lord will come, will come to you like the morning dew. Uh, the ESV translation has a little bit of a different translation, but what I'm using is, is a translation from the NIV. And so these people who, who are coming at the time of the greatest hope, right, these warriors are going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And so have faith that this is the season that is upon us. Don't think of it in far away. Let us put all of our interest here. And so if we do not believe in this kind of word, we cannot survive here. We need to put our lives for this. Amen? That on that day, He comes. God is not going to be interested about what you are doing on this earth. It's not going to matter. He's going to be concerned with how holy you are, how much by faith you have lived your life. Amen? He's not going to be concerned about who you are on this earth. No, he's going to be concerned about how holy you are. Are you living in faith? Amen? And so why, why be so invested in things that God is not invested in? Now, of course, if those things are for God's glory, then they'll be counted. But anything that is not counted towards God, things that God does not want, do not be invested in such things. Do not. And so, like the morning dew. What is the dew? The dew is a very significant factor in Israel. Israel lives by the early and latter rains. And what happens, what happens when there is no early and latter rains? That it is the dew that extends life. And so this dew, dew extends life in Israel. And so as it says in Micah 4, right, the dew, that the remnant are like the dew of the earth. And so though this world is covered in darkness, it seems as if there's no hope. And yet, in that time, in that time, what extends life? It is the remnant. Though everything is withering and dying, what we will see is that the economy, economic activity will all be controlled and regulated by the Antichrist. And in that time, there will be businesses and companies that are not under the control, as it says in Isaiah, the spiritual tire. And so our businesses are very important, amen? Businesses that cannot be controlled by the Antichrist. These are businesses that are equipped in the Word of God. 
And in this time of, of, of darkness, they will extend life. In that time where there is no hope, they will extend hope to the remnant. Amen? And so they are the dew. Amen? And so these young men will come to you like the dew of the morning. And so come to you is actually more like a risen, will raise up. And so God is raising up these young men like the morning dew. Amen? And as I said, young men is not speaking of age. But those who have this faith in the gospel of God and those who have this passion for his victory, whoever they may be, they are the young men. But conversely, it doesn't matter how old you are. If you do not believe in this word, you will live in powerlessness. You will live in inferiority. And so we call them what? Uh, baby old men, baby elders, right? Like what it says of Caleb in, in, in Joshua, right? Caleb, even though he was 85 years old, he says, give me this land. And so old men, old women of our church, I look at you and I challenge you. Okay, whenever you come to me and saying, oh, pastor, heal me of this, then I'm thinking to myself, hurry up and die, hurry up and die. <laughs> no, hurry up and just die. <laughs> uh, do you really think that that's how what I'm thinking? I'm filled with love and mercy. Do you really think that I would say that? Of course, I'm going to pray for your healing. But what am I trying to point out? It's not about your achings. It's not about your sufferings. It's about hope in the kingdom of heaven is about a thirst for his victory that's what you should have hold on to right if that is the case then what mat what age is just a number what is making you weak and feeble in your age is not your age it's your unbelief it's unbelief that makes you feeble truly it's not your age Look at your pastor. He gets younger with every year, right? No, I can see that I'm balding. I can see my hair graying more and more and more. But when you look at my passion, my passion is still as hot as it was in my youth. So we are all young. Amen? So look at the elders next to you and bless them. And bless them and say, young man, young man. Young men. Young men. So let's continue. And so God is raising up these holy young men in this new season. Amen. And so, Yorbang Church, let us all be the Lord's young men who rise up like the morning dew. It's all about what? Faith, faith, faith. And thirst for his victory. Desire for his victory. And these kinds of people will not be afraid of the world. They will not be afraid of poverty. They will not be afraid of what the devil could do. They are always thirsting after God. So let us thirst after that victory. Amen. Hallelujah. Faith. Faith. 
자, 자, 이제 철이 빨리 끝내겠네요, 그죠? So verse 4 The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind This word, sworn This is a really important word I was not able to do all of Galatians But whenever Paul compares covenant, he's always using this word promise, right? That God swears. But remember, that God's promise isn't some kind of legalistic covenant, legalistic contract, but rather it's a relational promise, a relational covenant, right? Uh, contract is between businesses, right? If one side fails, it nullifies that contract, right? So God is not making a contract. He's making a promise. It's relational. It's about relationship. And so even if you say that you do not want to love God, God will love you to the very end. And so from this perspective, Paul uses the word promise. So we got to receive God's word as a promise. Amen? And so we have received the word of the Creator God as a promise. And His promise can never change. Amen. And so His promise, He will make, bring it to pass. And so if you believe in His promise, that promise will never change. For example, when it says, ask whatever it is in my name and you will receive, that is the promise of the Creator King. And so He will make it come to pass. And so no matter what kind of prayer you have, if that, that prayer is not being not answered, it is in the process. So let's say, officially, I say, in the name of Jesus, give me this universe. And he says, oh, that's a problem. Oh, he has asked me for something too difficult. No, he will not say such a thing. He will say, wait. Wait, I'm giving, I'm, I am executing. I'm in the process. That is the promise uh, that he has given us. Lord, I have sought after a trillion dollars. Are you, are you asking for a little bit too much? Now I'm talking about when I officially use the name of God. I do not use the name of God anywhere, just anywhere. And God will say, oh, this is a problem. Take out one zero, then maybe I could give to you. No, God will not do so. He'll say, I give you, wait. It's on its way. Amen. And so God will never say impossible to his promise. He will never say no to you. And for the past 33 years in my prayer life, when I pray to God, God has never once said that no. He always says, wait, wait, I will do it. Now, of course, he doesn't say he will give it to you immediately. He says, wait, I will do it. That's what he says. And what's amazing is that when I look back on my life, he has given me everything. He has never withheld anything from me. How amazing is that? That is our creator God. And so like it says in Hebrews, what is faith? 
faith is being patient in that promise. It's because we lack patience that we fail. And it's because we lack patience that we fall into despair. But we believe in that promise and we are patient. We endure. Right? That is the definition of faith in Hebrews. Now, what does it mean when he says he swears? From God's side, he does never breaks his promise. But Israel may break their promise. And God constantly re-establishes re that promise, right? Let's say he says he'll give you a million dollars, a billion dollars. But it seems like God's not giving it to you. And then so, oh, I don't believe. I don't believe. God, I don't want to, I don't want to believe anymore. But God restores that promise. He renews that promise. He says, I will give to you. And so just wait a little longer. So he's always renewing it. And then so let's say I live my life. And God, you didn't give. You're lying. You're a liar. You're a liar. Oh, God, I don't want to believe. I don't want to believe anymore. Then God once again gives you that promise. And no, I will truly give to you. Just wait a little longer. And so he renews that promise. And so what is this swearing? It is the confirmation at the very end. That now I swear. And so let's look at what he swears. In Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 6. I want to talk about this promise in Galatians. But we're seeing the greatness of our God. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 16. For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes, an oath is final for confirmation. And so if you swear, you have to give. And so if you have this swearing, you have to give because it is the confirmation of that promise. And so in verse 17, so when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise, the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, right? God swears an oath. And so when we say God swears, we, he can no longer move it back. When God swears that he'll give you a billion dollars, he will give it to you right away, soon, right? And so let's say that God is going to heal someone. And you maybe he'll say, wait. But now he says, I swear that he will he will heal heal you this time. Then he will swear then he will give it you that healing. So this is the ultimate confirmation. But does God need to swear? Rarely. Why? Because, because where is this swearing on? It, he swears an oath on the name of Jesus Christ. Why? Because who is Jesus Christ? Jesus has been, is the intermediary for this oath, right? As, as we look in chapter 7, verse 20. And it was not without an oath for those who, but this was uh, the oath, right? Uh, Jesus is the guarantee. Look at verse 22. Oh no, uh, verse 17? No. So Jesus is the oath. I'm, he's going really fast, so I cannot hear the numbers. But one moment. Um, so he is your the oath of God to you. 
So you need to have faith that he is the oath to you. Amen. 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 And then verse 28. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests, but the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. And so that son is the oath, the confirmation. He is the seal of God's promise. And so what does it say in Hebrews 1, 2? That in the past he spoke through men and through angels, but now he speaks through his son. And this son has been established as the inheritor of the world, of the universe. And so everything in this universe is is done according to his spoken word. And so this is the authority behind it, the name of Jesus Christ. And so do you truly have that authority, that kingly authority? Then your prayer would be 100% answered. And so that's why he says, ask in my name and I will execute it. As it says in John 13, 14. Ask in my name and I will execute it. Why? Because Jesus is the seal of his oath. So when we seek in his name, he will work. Once again, ask in my name and I will execute it. It will be executed. Amen. And so this promise never changes. And so to show this promise, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And so this promise is being established and is established how? Through him being priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Melchizedek is in Genesis. Genesis 14 to 19. Right. As Abraham fights against the united kings of Canaan, right, and he destroys them and rescues Lot. And after that victory, Melchizedek comes to Abraham. Uh, he is the one who blesses Abraham and teaches Abraham of God. Chapter 19. He says uh, that the Lord who has created the universe, the Most High. Oh, not chapter 19, sorry, chapter... Oh, where is this? And so it shows that he is not just the God of my father, but also the Most High. Chapter 14, verse 19, right? 
And he blessed him. Blessed be Abraham by God most high, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God most high, who has delivered your enemies into your hands. Right? Melchizedek is the one who teaches Abraham that he's not just simply God of his, life, of his family, but God of the entire universe. And so in Hebrews, it talks about this Melchizedek. Where? In Hebrews chapter 7, verse 7. Uh, chapter 7 verse 2 uh, uh, chapter 1 uh, chapter 7 verse 2 uh, king of Salem so Melchizedek was also king but he was also priest Abraham was also king but Abraham was also priest and yet Abraham paid the tithe to Melchizedek so who's higher? Melchizedek is higher and so Melchizedek is a symbol of Jesus Christ and so in verse 3 he is without father or mother or genealogy having neither beginning of days nor end of life but resembling the son of God he continues a priest forever so Melchizedek has no genealogy and so in Jesus you don't need a genealogy and yet many times you look to your genealogy right oh in my in my genealogy this spirit is there that spirit is there why what are you forgetting you are forgetting that you have become a priest in the order of Melchizedek and so that's why you keep looking at your genealogies oh in geneal in my genealogy there's immorality there's unbelief there's this and so even though 10, 20 years, you're still looking at your genealogy. They forget that they are priests in, in, in the order of Melchizedek, but rather they think that they are priests in the order of the house of Kim. They are in the priestly order of the house of Han, the house of Pek. Right, because they keep thinking about their family, that's what they are. They are thinking about just their order of their house. So raise your hand, raise your hand. It's all about your genealogy, right? Your house. So this is the secret to cutting off all the flows of the genealogy is understanding that you are a priest in the order of Melchizedek. Oh, because our genealogy is filled with fools, I am dumb. Then live by your belief. Live by that belief. Oh, it's because my father was immoral that I have immorality. Then keep living in that immorality. Keep living in that curse. No, no, no. We are in the or priest in the order of Melchizedek. So turn back to Psalms. And so like it says in Hebrews 5.5 5, That you are the royal son Right, you have the authority to reign over the universe But at the same time He also is the priest forever in the order of Melchizedek The one who can open the road to God And so he is the only being in this entire universe Who has both positions and so in this Christology, right, the reason why this Hebrew Christology is so important is because his identity is in you. Yeah, 
So of course we have to see this Christology from many perspectives not just the perspective of Hebrews but this is all something that we all know well so he must be king in the house in the in the line of David right only when he is king will this universe be happy because of the law right and because God himself promised that that all the king of the universe will come in the line of David and he is the line of David we are not the line of David right we are not directly in David's blood and yet as it says in Galatians that uh, Abraham's family was in faith and so in that same faith we are in the we are sons of Abraham so we are also sons of David this is really important that whether you look in the past of your family or your future you are all kings there is nothing where, where you can look that is not a king amen and so through this genealogy of Abraham's faith we are also in the genealogy of David and so being priests forever after the order of Melchizedek we need to understand that we are not only kings but also priests because he has both titles so we also are priestly kings we are also in the line of David and so this word Lord comes out very often here right in chapter in verse 5 the Lord is at your right hand and so this word curious not from the perspective of Christology but but that he is our master he is our curious right? he is the master of the universe he is the master of all creation so from that perspective it's really important to understand his lordship that he is the lord from the line of David but at the same time he is also the son of man we talked about this in the book of Mark he is man and because he is man he can give us the victory that he won and so that's why it's important to understand that he was man but at the same time not only is he the son of David he is the son of God and so he came to this earth as the son of God and so his, him being son of God wasn't determined when he died no already he was son of God but because he came in the line of David to a certain point he lived at fully as human this is all enclosed when it says you are priest forever after the order of Melchizedek so he is king in the line of David he is Lord he is son of man and he is son of God and all of this was uh, one at the, at the cross and he was seated on the throne and those who receive him are seated with him on his throne and so at the same time you are son of God you are heir you judge the universe with him 
and this authority and power is given to you exactly as it is given to him. Amen? And so this amazing event has happened inside of you. And so the moment you receive the cross, you have been revolutionized. That this cross that happened 2,000 years ago isn't just one event in the past. No, it is life flowing. Where all life is focused, all angels, all demons, even God is focused on that event of the cross. That my son Jesus is victorious on the cross. All angels is looking to this moment and devil is looking to this moment that it must fail, it must fail. They're all focused on this event on the cross. And Jesus died on that cross and he gave himself up and said it is finished and so the life that mankind has lost came and shook the earth tearing that curtain down and why because this amazing promise of God was at once again restored to man and this authority has been given to you it is finished it is finished and so this amazing salvation and yet I'm lost in the world and yet I'm living in powerlessness no there is no reason for this only why reason why is because you do not believe because you do not believe if you believe then then really this entire world will seem like it's on your fingertips because as Isaiah goes into glory he sees the universe he sees this earth and what does he see that this earth is like a drop of water in the ocean that's how small this earth seems that it's like a water drop of water in a lake in the sea and I understand what Isaiah is saying when you enter into the glory of God really when I met with God and I was praying in the mountains power came upon me and it felt like the world was in the palm of my hands and so that's why I could say to the devil come come and I flick him and he flies to the other end of the universe I'm sorry for speaking in such supernatural terms but really this is what happens when you enter to the scale of God it does this apply only to me no this salvation has been given to you that's what happens when you are saved and so that's why Paul says that you are a new creation because you are something that had never existed on this earth before that you are completely different from a week ago that you see that they are nothing because their scale changes amen and so he has this victory and has entered into you do you believe does this world seem insignificant to you it should be insignificant 
That's why I always say, ah, now you see what I'm saying, right? That those who are saved will not be bound to this world. And so we did not go over freedom, but it's the same thing with freedom. As the child of the king, I can do, I can act in freedom. Who is the king bound to? Is he bound to people? No. The king is not bound to people. Is he bound to money? No. No. The king is not bound. He is free. That he has the command. That he has the, the sword. And so if I cannot hold on to that sword, if I am not in control, then I will not do it. Even if it seems good. Right? That is the spiritual pride that they have. And God is pleased with those who live by that spirit pride. And in the short term, it may seem like you are suffering loss, but it is not loss in the end. God is pleased with those who have that who have that confidence he is looking ah he believes in the honor and the dignity that I have given him ah he is completely concerned with my dignity that is what pleases God amen amen the righteous must multiply and so have many children more children the righteous must multiply amen Hannah amen Sunmi got is pregnant with the second Almost finished, verse 5. And so Psalms 110 is a very important prophecy, amen? So the Lord is at your right hand. Right? The Lord is at your right hand. Right? This is again showing the Trinity. So those who don't believe in the Trinity, show them this verse. Right? The Lord is at the Lord's right hand. He will shatter kings on the day of his wrath. Right in the last day, right in these last days. Right. This is again talking about the end of that battle of Armageddon. That he will shatter kings on the day of his wrath. And we saw this through many prophecies right, in Zechariah. Jesus returns. Right. Shall we look at Zechariah chapter 14? Zechariah 14 from verse 1 it, con- it describes the coming day of the Lord and then verse 11 
simply speaking, from uh, chapter 12 and 13, Zechariah talks about the last battle that starts from Megiddo and goes to Jerusalem. So these 10 kings of the world will fight against Israel at Megiddo. And there's so many people dying that, it, that Revelations describes it as a river of blood. And now uh, the final remnant is will, will, will fortify Jerusalem. And then from the south, another army of the uh, Antichrist will come north. And so that means that the Antichrist took victory over the remnant in the south. And so now these ten kings surround Jerusalem. And there's this last holdout, and they run out of all ammunition. And what will the Jews do? Through uh, the two witnesses, they've heard about the name of Jesus, and they will make this confession. Jesus, if you are the Messiah, now is the time. And the moment they say that confession, confession, the heavens will split open, and Jesus, on his white horse, will come galloping like the priestly king that he is. And 990 meters in front of the Golden Gate at the Mount of Olives, he will arrive. And there will be a great earthquake. And from the valley of Gidron, uh, the waters will burst and will flow to the Dead Sea and bringing that sea to become fresh. And then from the depths of the earth, the Golden Gate will come forward and uh, Jesus will pass through that gate and, and meet with the Jews. And the Jews will see what are these scars? What are these nails in your hands? And, and then they'll say you truly are the Christ and then in that day uh, for about 40 days I think Jesus will annihilate the army of the Antichrist so we'll see that in chapter 14 verse 12 and this shall be the plague with which the Lord will strike all the peoples that wage war against Jerusalem their flesh will rot while they are still standing on their feet their eyes will rot in their sockets and their tongues will rot in their mouths and on that day a great panic from the Lord shall fall on them so that each will seize the hand of another and the hand of the one will be raised against the hand of the other even Judah will fight at Jerusalem so this great victory will represent win in much death to the enemy and so that's what uh, Psalms 110 is describing here and so let's turn back to Psalms 110 and so the day of the wrath the day of wrath he will shatter kings on the day of his wrath so many people are going to die in that battle. And so that two-thirds of the, the population of Israel will die. How many people is that? So many people will die. And that is the day of judgment that is coming. And so the, these are right before us. They are, they are coming soon. In verse 6, he will execute judgment among the nations. 
And we see this, right? That so many people will die. Filling them with corpses, he will shatter chiefs over the wide earth. And so these kings of the nations will all die. So that the Lord alone becomes king and he will take his throne on in Jerusalem. Amen? In verse 7. Oh, really? We're almost finished. Wow, our sermon is going to end early today. He will drink from the brook by the way. And so our Lord has annihilated the devil, right? And what does it mean that he will drink from the brook by the way? That means that victory has been assured. That he, will, that he has the wherewithal, the leeway to take a drink leisurely. And so this is the leisure that we must have. To take the drink, to drink by the brook, by the way. And then, therefore, he will lift up his head. So in verse 6, it says that he will shatter, uh, it says chiefs, but this word chiefs is also head, right? And so uh, he will shatter chiefs. But what does it mean that he will lift up his head? And so who are we lifting up our heads before? We are lifting up our heads before our Lord Jesus Christ. So we must cast our eyes upon him. Do not fall into despair and shatter your head. No, then you will lose your identity. We must always lift up our head, lift up our head to see his face. Why? Because you are victors. You have the right to cast your look gaze upon him. So we have that song, right? Lift up your head and look at me. <laughs> no, that's not a song. That's that's not a praise song. That's a pop song. <laughs> And so, what does he say? Lift up your head and look at me. That's what the Lord is saying to you. Why keep your head down? Because you have no money? No, 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 no. no. Live by your identity. Live by who you are. And so, we have this confidence of victory to look to God. Amen? That's what he has done for you that the game is already finished. There's no reason for us to cast our head down. That no matter what happens in this world, there's no reason for me to cast my head down except for one, which is what is if Jesus says, you are finished. But Jesus will not say that to you. And so let us always lift up our head high. And as I always say, we need to have this style of walking like the king. And so if you just look at the way they walk, you know that they are princes. And so in our church, this is how we must we are to walk. Our head don't not lift it too high because if it's too high, it's vain, vanity. So about 15 degrees, 15 degrees looking at the, at the heaven. And our walking isn't unsure and, and fast. We are the son child of the king.
알았어 소고리 그래 잘했어 그래 So do not cast your head down. But at the same time, don't lift it up too high because that's arrogance. We need to look at his face. Confirming that victory. And don't walk too fast. Why? Because we have this wherewithal to drink by the brook. And so if we have confidence in our victory, we have this freedom, right? We have this, we have this wherewithal. And so you walk like the king. Amen. This is the style of the children of the king. We are not Gangnam style. We are kingly style. Amen. Does so anyone want to try? Hannah, go up front and try. <laughs> Let us pray. Let us pray. Let us believe. Let us all believe. Let us believe in this amazing vic- uh, dignity. Amen? Do not ca- be cast aside. There is no one in this world that can bring your head down. Amen. 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 That victory is already determined. Victory is already determined. Beloved children, have faith. And so, like, it is time to raise up this youth like the morning dew. This holy generation that can prepare the way of the Lord. And so there is no hope in this world. And in, there we are entering into that time of deep darkness. But at that pinnacle of darkness, God is raising up his youth, the hope of the dew of the morning. So though everything is drying and withering, this dew that extends life, that is the remnant. Amen? And so youth like the morning dew. Why aren't you responding? Say amen. Okay, if you're old, don't say amen. I'm not talking about age. But those who have this hope of victory, those who have faith, you are all youth. Without you faith, you are all old. And so youth of the morning dew. Rise up. Rise up. Rise up. Let us proclaim in victory. That our church in Israel and the remaining time, we will see that victory. Proclaim victory over your family. Reclaim the children that have been lost. Reclaim your friends that have been lost. Proclaim victory in your businesses. Because God has already determined victory. And so no matter what the world may say, no matter what's happening by the devil, it may may seem like you don't have proof. It doesn't need, it's not necessary. We have victory. Raise your head. The children of God, raise your head and look at his face and have the wherewithal to drink by the brook. And so Lord, come upon this place. Be present in this place. 
upon our brothers, upon Zoe Ministry. Lord, may they lift up holy hands. May they lift up holy hands and rise up, youth of the morning dew, and proclaim victory. Reclaim your lost glory. Reclaim your lost children. Hallelujah. Proclaim victory. Lord, speak. Jesus Christ, who is the high priest in the order of Melchizedek. You are the son of God. You are the son of David. You have given us this dignity, this glory. And now, Lord, upon us who have been seated on that throne, confirm your victory in us. Confirm your victory in us. Hallelujah. Be present in this place. Work powerfully upon us. Pour out the power and authority of the king. More, Lord. In the name of Jesus, I cast you out. whatever I ask in the name of Jesus. That's the faith that we need to have. Amen? Remember that 
prayer is an official request to the king. And because you give that official request, he gives. And so, Lord, remove all the unbelief that keeps us from having faith. Pour out the power. Have the power of the king. Youth of the morning dew, rise up and proclaim your victory. Proclaim your victory. Believe. Believe. It's all about faith. It's made in faith. It's not about circumstances or conditions. It's faith. Be filled with the faith of the king. Raise your head up! Raise your head up! There's nothing in this world that can cast your head down. Faith, faith, faith! More powerful faith! Shatter the head of unbelief! More, Lord! More! Overflow! Thank you. Open these gates wide, Lord. May everyone in Zoe ministry in Yorbang Church go to glory holy that they would commit themselves and like your youth come to you like the morning dew. Jesus Christ, who is the priest in the order of Melchizedek, you have granted him all victory. We receive that victory, that dignity fully today. And may we be characterized by your victory each and every day. That we would cast out the spirit of defeat, cast out unbelief. Hallelujah. We receive your glory. We receive your dignity. Let us lift up our heads. Let us lift up our heads. That we would not bow down to the world, but we would lift up our heads. Lift up our heads and look to the face of our Lord Jesus Christ. Oh Lord, we thank you. Yes, Lord, may we may we face towards this glory, towards the camp, youth camp. And Lord, these Chinese brothers and sisters who have come in the midst of great difficulty, Lord, may you bless them. And for these remaining two weeks, that they will be completely revolutionized. And Lord, to, that they would go back to China and establish your remnant in China. Establish them as victors. May all their bindings be completely loosened. Lord, bless today's offering. I bless it and bless it more. That bless the offering for Jerusalem and for the conference in Israel. That you would pay them back in glory. That you would bless them and bless them. Be pleased with this offering. And may this aroma rise up like the morning dew upon their family, upon their inheritance, upon their business, wherever their feet may fall. May your life extend through them that they would build up treasures in heaven. 
And now, by the grace of Jesus Christ, who is the head of the church, and through the holy love of the Father, and through the indwelling, comforting, fulfilling work of the Holy Spirit, to the saints upon this new season, rise up like the morning dew upon their family, their work, upon their inheritance, upon their vision, upon this nation and this people, upon Zoe Ministry and Yerbang Church. May this blessing rest now and forevermore.